Welcome to the Watoto Church Podcast. Prepare your heart as we explore scripture and delve into the Word of God. Father, we are so grateful that every week we come together and gather as your people in church, in person and some join on air, online, but it's a gathering to celebrate who you are, to honor you, a gathering with fellow believers to encourage each other, but it is also a gathering where we get to worship and hear your word. So Lord, we ask you, speak to us today. Our hearts are wide open and the entrance of your word brings light and life. We thank you in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. We're carrying on our series in this amazing book of First Corinthians. And if you have missed any of them, please go back and check them out on our YouTube page. Or you can go to the Watoro app and you'll find all the past messages because they're, they're amazing. They build onto each other. And so today we are going to go to chapter 7. Is an amazing one. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and uh, we're going to dive into it. And just as a reminder, this is a book that uh, is actually a letter that Paul wrote uh, in response to issues that were happening in the church in Corinth, which was a church in a city. And uh, city churches have unique problems because sometimes uh, the culture of the city begins to invade the culture of the church in the city. And so, and it brings tension because there's a big pull towards wanting to be in the church, but also wanting to behave like the city around us. Uh, and so those are the tensions that Paul is trying to address. Last week we talked about uh, the truth about sex because there was a lot of sexual immorality and it was even being justified. And so Paul had to bring perspective on this whole issue of sexuality and address immorality. I mean, it was crazy. And they were saying, you, you know, just like food is made for the stomach and the stomach for food, it's natural that we're just supposed to really be sexual beings. And they were being immoral uh, and justifying it. And we saw that last week. So you can get that message. But you know what? Uh, sexual immorality just doesn't affect individuals. Sexual immorality ultimately begins to impact on families. It begins to affect families. And so Paul is going to address this particular subject. Uh, and in this one here, he's really dealing with some interesting uh, thoughts that people had in the day. Uh, because there was so much immorality, some people decided that it is better to remain single and sexually pure. So they elevated the idea of celibacy. 
So the argument for them was, man, if you want to be fully devoted to the Lord, and if you're a real believer, you have to be single. That's what they were promoting. So the singles who on fire for God despised the married. Because in their heads, if you're married, then you are having sex and sex is bad. That thinking was so strong that even those who are married believed it and some of them wanted to become single and wanted to go out of their marriages. And it was creating problems. And behind that philosophy were those, if you read the, in, in the first chapter, there were those who were saying, me, I follow Paul. And they were using Paul as an example saying, you see, Paul is a typical Christian and he is single. So he's the real example. And if you're not like Paul, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so it was bringing a bit of tension. And also the impact of the gospel was demanding a change in lifestyle, which was not easy for them. So when it came to matters around this celibacy and marriage, they didn't, Paul even didn't just hear, they wrote a letter. They wrote and said, Paul, we need your guidance because we have some challenging things here. Please speak to us on the subject of marriage, on the subject of sex, on the subject of celibacy. So chapter 7 is Paul responding to that. That is very true even today. What we're about to read. Because um, in the city we do experience challenges with that. Some of them a little bit different. You know, whereas then singlehood was being promoted as the highest spiritual aspiration, in our culture today here in Kampala and in many parts, marriage is the deal. So if you're not married, you're not fully there. And that's the challenge. And there's so much pressure. Uh, but we also see um, marriage brokenness and failure. And in fact, I, I know for some of us here, we may have experienced brokenness in marriage or been in a family that's been broken and is dysfunctional. And those are the realities. Some of us who are here might actually be fearing to get married because of what's going on. Others have decided the commitment required in marriage is too high. Uh, let me just cohabit. Let me live with somebody with no commitment. Those are the realities in our city. And yet there are others who really desire and say, man, I, I don't know if it's possible to really have a great marriage, but that is my desire. I want to have a family. I want to have a stable marriage. And, and that's in there, you know what? Even before I read what Paul says, let me say this. It's possible 
to enjoy your singlehood and it is also possible to enjoy your marriage. There is great marriages. There is great possibility for you to have a healthy, strong, and, and, and vibrant family. It is absolutely possible when we follow God's word. And so let me get into what Paul was addressing. And we're going to read through, because it's amazing, loaded with truth. Now, Paul starts, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. For the matters you wrote about, uh, these matters were so serious, they wrote. They didn't want anyone to go and mince words. They were exact. They're saying, Paul, this one we are writing because you must pay attention to it. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's how it starts. <laughs> I imagined if Paul was on a radio program here in Kampala and he started that way, what would happen? But actually, he's picking up from the previous, uh, you know, chapter we had read. It was one long letter because you don't just read it in part. And he's saying, hey, guys, you, you've been deceived that you, you must. But he's saying, uh, um, uh, actually, it's good. You can refrain. But he begins to be, paint some truth and enlighten more on this subject. He says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should feel his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. And Paul is addressing this because there were those who began to see sex as absolutely dirty and evil because of the immorality around. And it even invaded their marriages and they had stopped uh, giving themselves to have intimacy with their spouses because they were spiritual. This thing might affect my faith. And Paul is addressing clarity, bringing clarity to that. Verse 5, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what he's saying, do not deprive each other. Never use sex in marriage as a weapon against your spouse. That's what Paul is saying. This is the Bible. Don't deprive each other. 
Why? The only sex that is blessed by God is in the confines of marriage. God designed sex to be enjoyed only in marriage. Any other sex outside of marriage is not blessed of God. And so if this is a special privilege for marriage, then Paul is saying you cannot deprive each other of it. Otherwise, Satan will come and tempt. That's what he's saying. So, Paul continues, and he says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. He's about to say something. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. In other words, forget elevating singlehood above marriage. Both are gifts from God and should be celebrated. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Marriage is a gift from God. And singlehood is also a gift from God that we must enjoy. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And every single said, <laughs> to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord is now going to quote Jesus. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this. I, not the Lord, but he's speaking in the authority of an apostle with revelation that God had given to him. A wife must not separate from her husband. This is, I'm repeating that, to the rest. I'm going to go to verse um, 12. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, 
They are holy. Here Paul is addressing a scenario where one of the spouses in a marriage responded to the gospel. And when they gave their lives to Jesus, they thought, how can I continue to be married to an unbeliever? And they wanted to run out of the marriage. But Paul says, no, 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 no. Stay. Stay in the marriage. But he carries on and he says something. Verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, not the believer. Are we together? If the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? In other words, if they've chosen to go, let them go. That's for the scenario of the couples where one spouse gets, gives their lives to the Lord. Please note, it talks about a husband who is a non-believer and a wife who is a non-believer, not a boyfriend or a girlfriend. All right? It is for those who are unbelievers before they got married and then one finds the Lord. That's what he's addressing here. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them. This is the rule I laid down in all churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts at the end of the day. That's what matters. What God's word says. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So Paul is saying, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Don't forget your salvation. Do not become slaves to human, human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, meaning he's not going to quote anything from Jesus, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy as a, an apostle. 
Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. To remain single. And he's saying this because there were many who were just rushing into marriage. And as soon as they go in, they want to get out. So he's saying, you know what? It's better you remain single than just get into marriage hastily. Because marriage is a covenant, is a commitment. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. There were those who were just breaking their pledges because of the lie that singlehood is more spiritual than marriage. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. If you're already pledged, please. Go ahead. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, this was good news for the singles, singles conference. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry are going to face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. There's great responsibilities. Here's what I mean, brothers and sisters. Is that the time is short. Now in Paul's mind, Jesus is coming back any time. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. And it is. Every single day we get closer to the day of the Lord. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. He defines what he means here. How he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. What Paul here is trying to say is that in marriage, you have a responsibility to prioritize your spouse. That's what he's saying. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, living in purity. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, which is, we already said it, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to respect you, but that you may live in a right way in an divided devotion to the Lord. And so he's saying, hey, some of you are saying, I want to serve the Lord. I want to do all of that. And I want to do all these things. He's saying, you can as a single. But when you marry, it is not a sin. And if you get married, make sure you prioritize your spouse. Prioritize your spouse. And that's what he's saying. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do so as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will. 
and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin. This man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Paul is amazing. Verse 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. Must be somebody of the faith. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And then he says, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So in other words, he's saying being single is not a curse. It's a gift that can be celebrated. Just as marriage is. There is two underlying themes in this long portion of text that I've read that I just want to expound on. In all the concerns and the questions and the situation that the church in Corinth was going to, through when it comes to marriage, sexuality, and singleness, Paul began to address it using two approaches. Number one, Paul reminds them about God's original perfect plan for marriage. He highlights God's perfect plan. Because you see, there were many theories about marriage and singlehood and sex. And God, but Paul says, let's go back to what God says. Anytime you get confused about any situation or subject in life, don't run to Google, run to God and his word. Because there you will find authoritative principles on how God designed life. That's what happened. So Paul goes back to God's original plan, his perfect plan for marriage. He begins to talk about it. He reminds us that marriage is a gift. He, he reminds us that sex is designed to be enjoyed in marriage. So spouses don't deny each other sex. And then he carries on and he says in marriage, you begin to prioritize your spouse. Listen to me. We are naturally selfish. And if we carry our natural selfishness into marriage, it is a setup for disaster. You cannot have a blessed marriage while being selfish. I've seen how some people actually think they are getting married but it is for selfish reasons. It is, I want to see what I look like in the pictures. What does the wedding video look like when I'm there? What does it feel like if people gather together around me? This is not about selfishness. Marriage means I lay down my life for the one I'm marrying. 
That's why Paul says, if you're married, you must prioritize your spouse. Single people, if you're planning to get married just so that your wedding makes it to TV and on Facebook, wrong reasons. Paul highlights one issue that was quite uh, uh, tense then and is still tense now. God's perfect plan for marriage is that marriage is a covenant and should be permanent. You enter in, it's a covenant. Verse 10. He says to the married, I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife He's now saying, in case you just think this is Paul's idea, it's not Paul's idea, this is the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. And if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband must not divorce his wife. Paul is saying, God's original perfect plan in marriage is that it is a covenant for life. He's reminding them. And he's saying, if you walk out of this covenant, then remain as you are, because it's a covenant for life. And Paul is not giving his ideas. He's actually quoting Jesus. Now you might say, okay, that is Paul. What did Jesus actually say? Matthew 19. Because this idea of covenant in marriage is not just a challenge today. It has always been a challenge. One day the Pharisees, who are supposed to be experts in the law. Matthew 19 verses 3 to 12. Pharisees came to Jesus and they came to test him. They tested him with many things, but this particular test here was around marriage and divorce. So they asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Because the culture in the day was, I can divorce you anytime. No security in the family. So they came. But remember, they were testing Jesus. So there was more than meets the eye here. So Jesus says, you're the experts. Haven't you read? He replied. Then what does Jesus do? He goes back to God's original blueprint. Always. When things like that come, what does God say? And so he goes back, he says, haven't you read? That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. He answered gender issues immediately, simply. Male and... So he, he put that one aside. Sorted it out. And said, for this reason, a man... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, talking about marriage, and the two will become one flesh. 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. As Jesus. But remember, they were tricking him. Everything Jesus said to this point, they knew. It's not that they didn't know. So, they carried on and said, Okay, Jesus, why then? They asked. Why did Moses command that a man gives his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? That, that culture was this. You didn't even need to go to the courts of law. The husband, if he woke up in the morning and that day, the tea was a little cooler than he usually takes. Says, you woman, would you, you give me tea like this? You give me bread without butter? Divorce, go. <laughs> they were divorcing for any and every reason. Including if they thought there was one who looked better and would make a better wife than the one they had. They were trying to remain committed to one man, one woman. But every time they got upset, you go. Then they get another one. It was so, they would just sign. And so they are saying, but Jesus, why did Moses allow us? Because Moses is the law, now you're here. Why did Moses do that? Jesus replied, now listen to this carefully. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it is not, it was not this way from the beginning. In other words, the corrupted version of marriage cannot become a replacement of the original perfect plan. That's what Jesus was saying. And then he says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, and then he gives an exception here, except for sexual immorality, and I'll talk about it, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Man, that was intense between Jesus and the Pharisees. That was heavy teaching. It is as quiet as it is here. Because all of them had come with a certain thing to justify. And Jesus is beginning to give truth. Now, not only were the Pharisees listening, the disciples were listening. And so the disciples say to Jesus, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to... <laughs> he said, this thing is serious. What they were saying, and this is what Jesus was saying, marriage must never be treated as just a casual thing. This is a covenant. It can never just be for pictures. It can never just be pressure around me. He must never. Because when you marry somebody and get married, it is a covenant commitment in there. 
There will be challenges. But you're saying we are going to go through them together. And so this small teaching on marriage that Jesus was giving, the disciples said, my goodness, this thing is not easy. By the way, we have a picture that many of us have about Jesus' disciples. We think the, 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 there's a picture we see there were old people seated with Jesus. Jesus is doing these teachings in his 30s, early 30s. Okay? He's a young adult. And most of his disciples were young adults and some, some were even just older teens. So they're listening. They were like typical Watoto church. And they were listening. And they also wanted to get married, some of them. And so they're saying, Jesus, is it better not to get married? Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For they are eunuchs, those who are born that way to stay single. They are those who are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs to, they were single because of circumstance. They were, some of them were castrated. They were brought and they were slaves, male slaves. And they are those who choose to live like singles for the sake of the kingdom. They've made a choice for kingdom's purpose. The one who can accept this should accept it. Jesus addresses marriage. He addresses divorce. He addresses singlehood. And he acknowledges them. And embraces marriage. And he deals with the subject of divorce. So there's God's perfect plan. But here's the deal. Life happens. Marriages hit the rocks. Relationships get constrained. And not just hit the rocks. Marriages even break up. Divorce becomes a reality. But amidst all of that, there is God's redemptive plan. There is God's redemptive plan. And I'll just highlight them as I begin to close. The first is this. God's redemptive plan deals with the heart first. Because at the root of divorce, Jesus says, it is because of the hardness of your hearts. The reason Jesus came is so that our hearts can be totally and radically transformed. The power of the gospel is this. It just does not become one of those that makes you join a Christian club. No, 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 no. The power of the gospel is that it will radically transform us from the inside out. We become born again. The heart of man is desperately wicked. Only God can transform a human heart. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus. He changes the hardness of heart. The selfishness, he deals with it. He deals with the very root cause of what could lead you to a marriage failure. Or what could lead you to fail to live as a single? He deals with a heart issue. That's why he says, don't you forget you were bought at a price. 
the price of the precious blood of Jesus. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God that brings salvation to human beings. So ask yourself, are you really born again? Have you let God transform your heart? But the other redemptive plan is this. No matter what has happened and where you are and the brokenness that life may have brought to you, he still heals broken hearts. He gives us hope beyond our present heart brokenness. He says, if your spouse dies, you're free to marry again. If you're married to an unbeliever and they move on, you're free to marry again. If you're in a place and the marriage is on the rocks, reconciliation is still possible because of Jesus. If somehow you walked away, you all began a new life, you're remarried, listen to me. This is where this truth has found you. Stay committed where you are now. Don't have a repeat of what happened before. In case you had children in the previous marriage, please continue to take responsibility of those children. But now that you have the truth, treat this new marriage with dignity and honor. That's why Paul is saying separation and divorcing and running away is not something we should be doing. But once it happens, there's God's redemptive plan. True marriage on God's perfect plan is possible by the grace of God. Living as a single, serving the Lord, waiting if your gift is marriage, in purity is possible because of the grace of God. God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Thank you for listening. We hope this encourages you to step into the new. Tune in next time as we delve into the Word of God. For comments and feedback or counseling, write to connect at watotochurch.com. Hey, hey,